Gracious Father, we are so thankful. Truly, we're here as an expression of gratitude that you were willing to send your son to die to open the gates of heaven for us. We thank you. And Lord, I can't help but think of that hymn that says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And so, Lord, we humbly come before you knowing that we are not worthy, but that you have made us worthy through the blood of Christ. And we ask for the outpouring of your Spirit. Lord, I pray that this broken instrument will not in any way interfere with what you want to present. You know your audience. You know the needs here today. You know what they're about to face tomorrow. And so I pray, Lord, that you will bring to the mind of your presenter today exactly what you need. And may the words, Lord, be yours. May the Spirit be yours. We thank you for this so much, dear God. Now we ask that you will shut us in the secret place of the Most High and that we will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We pray that your angels, Lord, will be about so that the evil one will not be permitted to distract or annoy. We thank you as we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are learning in our sanctuary studies <clears throat> that the, the furnishing in the outer court teach us how to become a Christian. We are learning that the holy uh, place teaches us how to remain a Christian. And uh, the furnishings, the menorah, the table of showbread, and the golden altar re reveal the three components that are important in remaining connected to God in maintaining our relationship with him. This is what God sought to teach ancient Israel and through them, the world. This is what he wants us to know. Now, in our last presentation, we, we studied about the menorah, the golden lampstand. And we learned that that oil was the key. That oil represented the Holy Spirit. And, and in that study, we learned that the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Godhead and, and it is his work in transforming the life of the repentant sinner. If you understand that, please say amen. amen. Today we're going to look at the second component to this walk with God. And it's found in the table of showbread. The table of showbread was also made out of acacia wood overlaid with gold. Again, it was, it was designed in a way for easy transport uh, because the sanctuary uh, was often transported. Its dimensions, it stood about three feet long, uh, a foot and a half wide, and about two and a half feet high. And on it, uh, each Sabbath, were placed 12 loaves of bread. Twelve was significant. It, re it represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So there were 12 ro uh, loaves of bread, and they were found in two stacks. Each stack consisted of six loaves. It was known as the bread of uh, the show bread, also known as the bread of presence. Very interesting. We'll find out why and whose presence. Um, and it was put out every Sabbath. And it stayed there throughout the week, and then the next Sabbath, that bread was removed and fresh bread was put on, and then the bread that was removed was then eaten by the priest. Now, 
many of you who make bread and it is fresh and it is wholesome and it is natural. No, it doesn't keep very well, does it? It doesn't, but this bread did. It did keep. That bread was located on the north side of the, uh, of the holy place. And you have no idea how I just want to burst and in, in, in try to unpack for you all the significance of that. But we're, I'm going to restrain myself and stay focused. But this bread was very significant, had lots of meaning, and we're going to study into that bread today. Number one, question number one. How does the bread point us to Jesus? Well, John 6, 48, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You see, the the bread that was on that table was to remind the 12 tribes that it was God who supplied all of their needs. That was not only true for them then, it's true for you and I today. I want you to know that uh, God didn't just create us and wound us up and now we have so many years to live. No, friends, you and I are on life support. We, every breath we take is a miracle. Every breath we take is a miracle. We are dependent upon God for our physical life. But more than that, we are dependent upon God for our spiritual life as well. And that we find in question number two. What is it that Jesus wants us to feed upon to maintain our spiritual health? Matthew 4.4 says, But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so just as God provides for us food to eat, to sustain us physically, God provides for us food to eat, spiritual food, to sustain us spiritually. And the prophet Jeremiah talks about the spiritual food when in Jeremiah 15, 16 says, your words were found and I what? I ate them. So just as I need physical food to sustain my life physically, I need spiritual food to sustain my life spiritually. How many times do we eat a day? So there's two or three, all right? Does that tell us something? About how often, at the minimum, we need to eat spiritually to maintain spiritual health. I mean, if we just come once a week to church to get the bread of life, try eating once a week and tell me how that works. You're not going to last long, nor will you spiritually, if you just eat once a week. If we want to maintain optimal health, we've got to eat every day. And that's the lesson we're learning here. So component number one is we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so we can shine for God, so we can have a transformed life and people can see there's something to Christianity. But we find that we need to be in God's Word also as part of that process to maintain our spiritual health. Number three. Since the bread points to Jesus and his word, what impact will it have on my life if I prayerfully 
study it. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unfailed face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being what? Transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Very interesting, by the way. We're finding something here that a connection is made. You see the Spirit of the Lord mentioned there. If you, see, if you saw it in there, please say amen. amen. All right. Um, James refers to the mirror. If you look at the book of James, what does he refer to as a mirror that we look into? It's God's law, okay? God's word. So when you combine God's word, his law, and then you connect it with the Holy Spirit, you have a transformation that takes place. Let me read it again. So, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, which is his character, which is revealed in his word. We're going to unpack that today. Are being what? Transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by what? The spirit of the, of, of the Lord. And so the Holy Spirit, who is the transforming element, who is the transforming agent, works with something to create that transformation. And he works with God's word to make it happen. How many want to transform life? So we know the math, don't we? We need to be in the word. You know, I, I want to share something with you, and I have in the past, but I'll share it again. But we operate off a natural law that God created in our minds. And uh, natural law is something, God is a God of order. And so the universe, everything governs by law. There are things predictable. You know, we're, we're living in a generation where people say there is no such thing as absolute truth. What an incredible betrayal to this generation. You couldn't go to the moon if that was true. You couldn't fly a plane if that was true. There is no truth in that. The mere fact that we have something, well, I might mess that up. What, what law is that? So if I said there's no absolute truth, does it really matter to Mr. Gravity? It doesn't. It doesn't. You can walk off the, before walking off the Empire State Building, you shook your fist at gravity. You have an appointment with the concrete below. There are fixed laws, and there's a law that God created in our mind that by beholding we become changed. Now, I heard a lot of amens, but are we putting that into practice? You know, the devil knows this law too. There's stuff he wants us to be thinking about and looking at so that we become like him. But if we're going to become like Christ, we need to be intentional. And the sanctuary is telling us that we have got to be in the Word because that's what the Holy Spirit uses to transform our lives. As we used to say as kids, monkey see... Monkey do. I grew up in L.A. as a kid, and if you went out to the basketball courts of the, around town, you saw people passing the ball like, like uh, Irving Johnson or a hook shot like Kareem or a turnaround jump shot like uh, James Worthy because that's what they were watching. We are created to imitate. So if we want to be like Jesus, there's only one way to get there. And that's to be studying his life through the word. My friends, it doesn't get any simpler than what I just shared. There are no shortcuts. It's how it works. You've got to be feeding upon his life. And what we find here, 
is the power to get victory over sin. Take a look at the next verse, 2 Peter 1.4. This is an amazing, mind-blowing verse if you really think about what's being said. And, and, and in, the, in the highlighted parts, please answer. But, but which, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious, what? Promises. That's God's word, friend. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. By birth, you and I have one nature. That's a fallen nature. We have a natural tendency for evil. You don't have to go to college to learn that or to school. We're born with a natural desire for evil. But when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and we ask Him to come into our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, He comes and now another nature is added. There are now two natures. Now we have the ability and the power to say no to sin that we couldn't do before. That is an incredible promise and we need to claim that promise. My friends, we have to remember that it is not enough to read the Bible like an ordinary book. We need to think about what we're reading. We need to meditate upon it. It was the wise man who said that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What's dominating your thinking? That's what you're going to become like, friend. We need to be thinking about what we're reading and then make the choice to apply it into our lives. We have to remember that you are what you eat. Isn't that right? Our goal is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's take a look at number four. We're finding that the word of God is critical to us if we're going to remain Christians. Isn't that what we're learning? How much of the scriptures are we commanded to study and to believe? You know, it's really interesting in the Christian world today, they'll tell you half. They'll tell you that, uh, that at the cross, the Old Testament was no longer valid. It was no longer needed. Well, I would just assume, see what the Bible has to say about that. And Paul has something to, uh, Dr. Luke says, first of all, in, in Luke 24, 25, he says, believe how much? All the prophets had spoken. By the way, where do you find most of them? In the Old Testament, is Luke, first of all, is Luke even a Jew? He is a Gentile. So is he after the cross or before the cross? He's after the cross. What is he telling us to believe? The Old Testament. But now let's hear from a Jew. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul writes, and the first word is what? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. How much is given by inspiration of God? Is it most of it is given by inspiration of God? How about some of it is given by the inspiration of God? How much? All of scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is what? Profitable for doctrine. That means teaching. For reproof, and we need that sometimes. No, we need that a lot. For correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. Are you going to be complete with half? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Brothers and sisters, how much of all is all? The only thing that we have that's been given to us to expose the devil's program. The only thing given to us to give us hope is God's word. That is it. That's it. 
It is the only book, by the way, that we have from antiquity intact in, in that gives us the truth. There is nothing else. It's the only book we have. This book was so important. There are people back in the past that wanted to put this in your hands and they knew to do it would cost them their lives. They were willing to be burned alive so you can have the book in your hand. And that's why I have a problem when I see a Bible laying on the ground. I have a big problem. I remember as a boy, and my mother really instilled that in me. We were Catholic growing up. And um, I remember, my mom used to always tell us that the Bible was, was holy. It was God's book. We never read it because the, the, the priest taught us that, that we'll never understand it. So we, gotta, you know, we, we have to go to them to understand it. Whatever they say is the truth. Buyer, beware. So we didn't read it. But my mother taught us that it was the truth. It was God's holy book. And it always had a prominent place on our coffee table. And I still remember, I'm telling you, I must have been, I must have been five years old. My mother was vacuuming the house. She was in a big hurry. And she hit the coffee table. And that Bible hit the floor. And I remember the look of horror on my mother's face. She just froze. I remember she, she turned off the vacuum. She walked up to it. And she knelt. And she picked it up. She kissed it and she placed it on the table and that etched itself in my mind. That book is different than any other. Than any other book. And it needs to be treated that way in our homes if we expect our children to treat it with respect. So very, very important. It's the only thing that God has given to us to unmask the devil's program. And yet, today in the Christian world, there is a departure from the scriptures. There is a departure from believing that it is God's fully authoritative, inerrant word, the guide of life. There is a, a book out <clears throat> uh, by George A. Marsden entitled Reforming Fundamentalism. And uh, Brother Marsden is a Christian, and he is concerned about what he is seeing happening in the Christian world. And he quotes a survey of students uh, of what they believe in one of the largest evangelical seminaries in the U.S. And the question was asked if they believed in the inerrancy of Scripture, and this was his finding. 85% of the students do not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. 85%. In the same book, he quotes uh, uh, a research, a poll that was conducted by Jeffrey Hayden, in 1987. And what Hayden did is he, uh, he asked 10,000 American clergy, okay? These are teachers, administrators, pastors, all right? He asked whether, and here's the question, whether they believed that the scriptures are the inspired, inerrant word of God in faith, history, and secular matters, all right? Did they believe that the scriptures are the inspired, inerrant Word of God in faith, history, and secular matters. And these 10, and 75, he got a response of 75% of those that he interviewed, and it was cross-denominational, the large denominations. Here were his findings. 67% of American Baptists said no. By the way, all this was printed in uh, Christianity Today. 77% of American Lutherans said no. 82% of Presbyterians said no. 87% of Methodists said no, and 95% of Episcopalians said no. These are the thought leaders. What can we hope for the people that are placed under their care? 
Not only that, but the way the church goes, society goes, friends. And uh, Barna Research last year came out with a very interesting research. You know Barna is? Barna does research in the Christian world, uh, George Barna Research. In, 19, in 2017, a new record was reached in the United States. By the way, have you ever heard it said that America is a Christian nation? It was. If it ever was, perhaps. Let me rephrase that. If it ever was. That was a long time ago. Here's the, here's the, here's the new record. Record few Americans believe Bible is, literal, is the literal word of God. 24% in our country. The way the church goes, the nation goes. My friends, the only thing given to us to expose the devil's program, the only thing given to us where God reveals himself is that book. And if we lose confidence in that book, we have thrown away eternal life. You know, it's interesting, um, in the 20th century, in the beginning of the 20th century, scholars began teaching their people that it was impossible to really know if the scripture that we have is actually what the writers originally wrote. They began teaching this. We really don't know if this is really what the Bible calls scripture is actually the scripture. Why? Because the, the oldest manuscript of the, of, of the scriptures that we had was from 900 A.D., that was the oldest manuscript we had. Almost a thousand years after Christ. That was the oldest manuscript. So there was a lot of question. But you know, the Lord had a card up his sleeve. And in the 1940s, there was an incredible discovery, and we know about it. It was the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls date back to 125 B.C., before Christ. It would have been the Bible Jesus had. So the scholars were eager to make a comparison. You know what they found? A few misspellings. My friend, the Bible you have, you can trust. You can trust the word. Anybody comes to you with this idea that we don't know if it's the real deal has been answered already. It has been answered already. But not only that, but the greatest evidence that this is God's word is the lives that are transformed who read it, of which I am one. I am one. You know, as a pastor, it's a joy for me to see people who have been hooked on pornography get set free. It's been a joy for me to see people who have been hooked on drugs or alcohol be set free. I have watched marriages that have fallen apart because of adultery come back together because God healed hearts and brought forgiveness. And if, if, and if you believe that there's no comeback from that, it's not true. I've witnessed it time and time again. There is an am amazing power in that book. But my friends, if we lose confidence in it, we have cut ourselves off from life. It's, it's what God works through. It's what the Holy Spirit works through to transform a life. Let's take a look at number five. Whom did Jesus say the scriptures and the prophecies reveal? Luke 24, 27 and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning what? Himself. In John 5, 39, it says, Search the scriptures, for they are they which testify of me. And in Revelation 1, 1, it is no, it, that book is called the Revelation of Hugh, of who? Of Jesus Christ. My friends, the only hope of humanity is Jesus 
And the only, the only Jesus that's going to save you is found in the Bible. Now, I say it that way because there's another Jesus that's being peddled out there, and he doesn't line up with Scripture. But the, but the one that lines up with Scripture is found in the Scriptures, and that's the only Jesus that saves. There is no other Jesus that saves. And as we, be, and as we study, Paul says that by beholding, we're going to become changed. So when we study the Bible, we don't study... To, to, to see how much smarter we can sound like than the church down the street. That's not why we study the Bible. We study the Bible to know Christ. We, know, we study the Bible to know our Creator, our Savior, and our Redeemer. And by doing that, by, by being engaged in that process, imperceptibly, the Lord is changing us. He is transforming our lives. Number six, what is another name used in the Bible for Jesus? This is very interesting. Play on words. Be paying attention. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is known as the Word. He is the, vo- he is the, 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 the voice of, uh, of the triune Godhead. He's the spokesman. He is the Word. When the idea came up to create a new world, who's the one that spoke it into existence? It was Christ. He is the Word. Do you realize what this means? His Word has creative power. How do you do that? How do you say in a darkened space, let there be light? And now there's light. You can look at a a, a blank portion of space where there's nothing and say, let there be a planet. Boom. He can create something out of nothing. He is known as the word. This book is called the, his word is in here. Now, I don't think you got it. That word that created the cosmos. Hey, if you got an atom and you split it, what do you get? You get energy release, right? A whole bunch of energy release. How many atoms we got in here? Can you imagine if we split this deal? What do you think would happen to this part of the United States of America? Are you with me? How, much, how many atoms are there in the universe? What is, what is this telling us about God's power? About His Word? That power is in here. This is known as the Word of God. Are you getting it? Do you understand why this book has the power to transform a sinner into a saint? This is how the Holy Spirit works through this book. And He doesn't work apart from it. If you and I want to transform life, we're going to have to go in here to get that transformed life. John 1.14 says, And the Word was made what? flesh and dwelt among us. That blows my mind that the creator of all the universe did not, did not think heaven as a place to say why you and I were lost here. And he came into the cesspool to pull us out. And, and it's amazing to me. I remember when I first became a Christian as an adult and, and, I, and when I got my Bible and I got to the New Testament And as I was looking at it and I found those red letters, I realized those were his words. I mean, I I still remember running my finger over those words. 
I had God's words in my hand. That blew my mind. I had his word. Friend, you do too. We have his word. We have the power in our hands. God wants to unleash it in our lives. Number seven, what kind of people did God use to write the Bible? Second Peter 1.21 says that they were holy men of God, spoke as they were what? Moved by the Holy Spirit. Revelation 1.1 says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to what? To show his servants things that shortly must take place. My friends, God is the author of this book. You know, <clears throat> there's always a little confusion, and I have an article that I could send out to you all, I suppose, here, but the bottom line is that God gives to a, a person who's committed his life to him, okay, known as a prophet, right, holy men or it's in, of God. There were holy women, too, that were committed to God. But God communicates his thoughts to that prophet through a vision or a dream, sometimes speaks to him directly. That person then, God then allows that person in his words to communicate what God revealed to him. And the reason being is God wants us to understand what he's trying to say, so he needs a human element, instrument to communicate his thought to us. Are you with me? Jesus was a combination of human and divine. The Bible is a combination of human and divine. The thoughts are God's, the expression is man's. But you can trust what it says there. God doesn't allow the guy to put in his ideas. He only expresses God's. Does that make sense? You know, I remember as I was thinking about this, when I was in high school, I wish I could share with you the whole story because it really is a, a pathetically comical story, but I, it, it, was, it was actually a dare uh, that started this deal, but I wanted to get the best grade in algebra class. I, I want to say right now that I... Uh, if there's any math teachers here, you're going to be upset with me. I've got to be careful. Um, it just doesn't really rank real high in, in, in my priorities of life and things I enjoy doing. But, 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 but algebra, I, I want to get the best grade in class for the wrong reason. Somebody dared me. And, uh, and I remember our teacher uh, was of Chinese descent, born in South Africa with a very thick British accent. And sometimes we had a real hard time tracking with this guy. And, uh, and, and he had just finished presenting to us a, a topic that just blew everybody up out of the water. Nobody understood what he said. Now, on the one hand, I was discouraged, but on the other hand, I thought, here's my big chance to one-up the next person in line with the grade. So when everybody left, I cornered my teacher, and I was like, look, I've got to understand this. Run it by me again. And, and I had my friend with me, a good friend, and he was a, he had, he was a terrible student. His dad was always putting pressure on him to get good grades, and all he wanted to do was play. And so anyway, he was there with me trying to figure this thing out too because he didn't want to flunk. And so the teacher kept in different ways explaining this to, thing to me, and I finally got it. I understood what he was saying. And my friend was like hanging under my arm, tell me, explain it to me, please. And so I turned to him and I said, okay, look, it, it works like this. Just imagine if there was a gang in East L.A., and it ran into, and, and that's how I, and I did it. I communicated at the level where we were at. He got it. He understood exactly what the teacher up here couldn't, couldn't help him to get. Well, when the teacher saw that, he was like, oh. he said, hey, you got to teach this next week. 
or in the next class period. And I said, no way. And then he said, for extra credit? And I went, okay, we'll do that. And, um, and, I, and I taught it, and they got it. And, and it's the same concept. God finds a person who's fully committed and in tune with him. He, he visits that person with a vision or a dream so that he can communicate it in the human language to others. Th- does this make sense? Let's take a look at number eight. How important should Bible study be to the Christian? Job 23.12 says, I have treasured the words of his mouth. What's the next word? More than my necessary food. What, what is Job telling us? Hey, if you got a late start that morning and he had to choose between breakfast and studying his Bible, this brother had his priorities straight. Not spending time with God and his word for Job was not an option. By the way, do you think that's what sustained him when the crisis of his life came upon him? Hey, you and I don't know what's coming down the track. We need to stay close to Jesus. And we do that by spending time in his word. Let's take a look at uh, uh, the next verse, Psalms 119.105, which Sheriff read for us today. Your what? Your word is a what? A lamp to my feet and a what? A light to my path. You see, in the holy place, we're learning how to walk with God, right? And we're learning, watch carefully, that God's word is a light unto my path. The path to the throne of God, dear friends, is found in God's word. That's what the Holy Spirit uses. And the Holy Spirit Never, ever, ever will lead you contrary to Scripture. Dear friend, if, the, if you're getting an impression to do something contrary to what God tells you in the Word, you already know the source. If your pastor was ever to ask you to do something contrary to the Word, you know the source. That Bible is your and my lifeline. It is our lifeline. And you know, uh, by the way, if you're the devil, what's your attitude towards the word? You've got to find out a way to get people not to read it. You've got to find a way to p- get people to not have confidence in it. You've got to find a way to get people to put it on the shelves and let the dust collect and all the while go to church and they can call themselves God's people while they're living a life completely contrary to God's will. Are you with me? Buyer beware, be in the word, be in the word. Number eight, who helps us understand the Bible? John 14, 26 says, but the helper, the what? The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you how much? Do we believe that? All things and bring to your remembrance all things I have said to you. You know, when I, uh, when Swellen and I were dating, um, she, for my birthday, um, she gave me a little white Bible, and it was perfect to fit in my, in my car, and in the mornings, as my engine and stuff were warming up, I would read a chapter a day, and that's actually what got me started back into the Bible, was a gift. Uh, by the way, if you're, if you're not married... Make sure if you're dating someone that they're drawing you closer to Christ. If they're not, 
you better jettison the relationship before you lose your soul. Just telling you. But Sue Ellen gave me a Bible and I, I was reading it. And as I was reading it, I was really upset. But there was so much in there I didn't understand. And I was kicking myself that I goofed off in Bible class and didn't pay attention until I found this verse. When I saw that verse, I kind of hit the brakes. I said, wait a second. But the help of the Holy Spirit, when the Father was sent in my name, He will teach you all things. You know, what the, you know what I would have thought it meant? That the Bible teacher and the pastor were going to teach you all things. That's not what it says. It says the Holy Spirit will. The Holy Spirit. What does that mean, pastor? That means when you have a question, don't come running to me first. If you have a question, you go to God first and ask him the question. Then go into his book and read everything you can find about that question. Get your concordance out. Don't be lazy. Your soul depends on this. Get your concordance out and uh, get your cross-referencing. Do your praying. After you've done all that, then come ask the pastor. Now, now you have a level of understanding. And when the pastor answers you, you're going to have a pretty good idea if you're getting truth or error. The Holy Spirit will bear witness. He will bear witness in your heart and mind whether what he's giving you is a bill of goods or the truth. Then go back and compare what he said to the Bible. Don't take his word as scripture. Don't take mine either. Whatever you're learning up here, you better go back home and study it to make sure you're not being deceived. Are you with me? So important that we test everything to God's word. You know, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever been studying something in the Bible and all of a sudden you go, whoa, I never saw that before. Do you realize what has happened? You have just had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's what's happened. And so I, when I study my Bible, I used to get really upset because I can, only, I can read a whole chapter and maybe get one thing. But it wasn't until later that I began to realize that God was at work. Yeah, there was a thousand things in there, but I wasn't ready for it. There was only one thing I was ready for, and that's what God wanted me to be thinking about. Later, when I'd go back over that same chapter, I saw two things. How, how many else have had that experience? And so that's how it works. So I didn't get discouraged. I just began to pay attention to what he was showing me. Lord, why are you showing me this today? Are you with me? So God is our teacher. He teaches us. And we need to be paying attention. Let's take a look um, at number 10. So here we're learning that God not only inspires us, I mean that the Holy Spirit not only inspired the Bible, he teaches the Bible, but to get access to that, what do we need to do? Number 10 says, what must I do to be certain that the Holy Spirit is guiding my Bible study? Luke eleven nine 9 says, I say to you what? Ask and it will, no, no, let's do that again. I say to you what? And it might be given to you. Will be given to you. God is more desperate to save you, friend, than you are to be saved. Does that encourage you? He wants you to learn. So the key, the first thing we learn is that when we're going to study the Bible, we have got to go to our knees and ask God to teach us. We need to ask him. You know, I know a man who's been an evangelist his whole life. He retired not too many years ago. Godly man. He has literally led hundreds of thousands of people to God. I learned not too long ago that whenever he studies the Bible... He kneels. Isn't that amazing? I'm not saying that that's what we have to do, but it shows the attitude of a humble learner. That's what we must have. We have an attitude of humble learner. So we need to ask, not to, to think that we're, we are, uh, we're big enough to take care of ourselves. That's what Eve thought. 
We have to remember that God is a gentleman. He will never force his, himself upon us. We need to ask, invite him. Now, listen to what I'm going to tell you very carefully. If you don't do that, if you don't pray and ask God to be your teacher before you read because you think you're big enough to take care of yourself, let me tell you what's going to happen. The prince of darkness is going to step in and he's going to twist scripture in your mind. That's what he's going to do. So we need to realize that without God, we're lost. We need to kneel. We need to ask God to be our teacher. We need to ask him. Luke eleven thirteen 13 says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who? Ask. Isn't that cool? He wants to give it to us. John seven seventeen says, If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God. And so if you want to know God's will on something and you prayerfully study, guess what God has promised? He's going to reveal it to you. You know why we have so much error out there? It's because very few Christians study the Bible for themselves. That's why. They're listening to everything the pastor tells them. Let's take a look at number 11. How does prayerful study of the word help us? Psalms 119.11 says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might, what? Not sin against you. God wants to live us, lift us above the power of sin. You got people out there preaching that you're going to be saved in your sin, not according to my Bible. The mission of Jesus Christ was revealed in Matthew 1.27 when it said, and he shall save you from your sin. And so Bible study is part of that. It's where we connect with the power that, that educates our minds, where we can claim God's promises so he can rise us above the power of sin. But for that to happen, we got to put the word in here. So important. Jeremiah 33.3, call upon me and I will what? Answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. He wants to teach us. When I was 16 years old, I was waiting on the curve in the Glendale City Church waiting for my friend Wally to come pick me up. He never came. On his way there, a drunk driver blindsided him and killed him. I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of questions. I was already an angry kid. That made me even angrier. Why do good people get that and the bad people? That guy walked away. Why is that? The, you'll find the answers in the Bible, friend. You want to know who to marry? The Bible will tell you. God has uh, a criteria so that you can have a happy life. I want to share something with you. Life on planet Earth is not happy. If you're, if you're young and you're living with your folks, it's hard. It becomes happy when you have Jesus, you're connected with Jesus. It's no wonder those who don't have Jesus do drugs, drink alcohol, and are entertaining themselves to death. It's the only way they can deal with what's going on in their life. But when you have Christ, you have his presence and his strength to do it. And, and so it's tough. But if you marry the wrong person, there are worse things than being alone. But God gives us criteria he teaches us. You want to you wanna know what type of job you should have or you know, whether you should take that job or not? God will show you the criteria. Uh, how to raise children, how to ha- live a healthy life. It's all there. There is no aspect of your life that this book doesn't touch. Either directly or by principle. Every aspect of the human existence, God has something to say. It is the owner's manual for you and I. It is all there my friends, all of it. Romans 15.4, this is amazing. For whatever things were written before were written for who? Our learning that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures we may have what? That song that was sung this morning, No More Night. I can't listen to that and not cry. 
We have hope in Jesus Christ. A better day is coming. We can face whatever comes before us because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And, and when, we, when we study God's word, we get hope. But I hope you picked up on something that's really interesting. For whatever things were written before were written for... That's interesting. Let's see this thing fleshed out. Get your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul is talking about the history of the children of Israel. Then he throws this in here. This is a whopper. Don't miss this. This is huge. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you're there, say amen. I still hear pages turning. I'll give you a little time. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So Paul is talking about what happened to Israel of old. Now look at verse 11. He says, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition on whom the ends of the ages have come. Now, if you have the King James, it says the end of what? The world has come. So Paul is saying that all of this was recorded specifically for which generation? Now, I don't know if you understand the ramifications of this, let me flesh it out a little more. There are people out there saying that the Bible is culturally conditioned. That it was relevant to the people back then, but not so much to us today. Paul disagrees. What Paul is actually saying here, yes, it was relevant to the people back then, but not as relevant as it is to the people at the end of the world. What is he saying? He's saying the Bible is more relevant to you and I today the Old Testament included, because that's all he had when he made this comment. It was more, it's more relevant to us today than it was even to the people it was originally written to. Did you catch that? And the reason being is really simple. Yes, it's true, culture may change. Yes, it's true that fashion may change. Yes, it's true, technology does change. But the need of humanity has never changed. Humanity is lost without God. We have a devil on our track who wants to destroy us. And Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. The devil repackages his stuff, but it's the same stuff. And when we study the Bible, what the devil did to God's people in the Old Testament, we know what he's trying to pull on us. Now, the devil doesn't want you to know that. Because he wants to slide under the radar. But friends, history repeats itself. This book is more relevant to us than it was even to the people it was originally written to. Let's take a look at James 1.5. If any of you lack what? By the way, I have bad news for you. This includes you. It's all of us. Me too. If any of you lack wisdom, let him what? Ask of God and it shall be what? Given him. Can you say amen? You know, I said when I first read the Bible, those were the two texts that give me home. What Suellen gave me that that white Bible, the two texts that gave me hope was the realization that the Holy Spirit is willing to be my teacher and God has promised to give me wisdom. Praise the Lord. We have hope, friends. God isn't, didn't leave us here to try to figure this thing out ourselves. He's there all along the journey with us. Number 12, what method of Bible study do the scriptures recommend? Isaiah 28.10. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line upon line. Here, a little, there, a little. And what, what, what Isaiah the prophet is advocating here is what we call today research. 
So if you look at a text and it seems to be saying something here, study the whole Bible on that verse and make sure that you ended up in the right conclusion. Uh, does that make sense? You know, when we were in the, in the Catholic Church, we were growing up, we were told that the wafer that we ate was actually the flesh of Christ. It was actually his friend. His, his, it was actually his flesh. And that the, 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 the juice was converted into actual blood, and that's what we took in. You know, in some parts of the world, that's called cannibalism. I hate to say this, but my point is this. You, you can teach, you, if you want to, you can teach cannibalism from the Bible. You can get a text out of context and turn it into pretext. So what, 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 what Isaiah is saying is, don't just build everything on one text. Study, research throughout the whole scripture. If it's true in Genesis, brothers and sisters, it's going to be true in Revelation. Are you with me? God is not schizophrenic. He is consistent. He doesn't contradict himself. We need to do research. And again, in 2 Corinthians, Paul emphasizes this, 2 Corinthians 2.13, but which the Holy Spirit teaches what? Comparing spiritual things with what? Spiritual. He wants us to be good detectives. And good detectives, what do they do? Do detectives, they gather all the data and then they go with the weight of the... You know what the Christian world many do today? They find 15 texts that God says no on and two where he seems to be saying yes and they go with the two. Now, I'm not going to ask for hands. I think we've all been guilty of this, friends. God may give us 20 texts clearly telling us this direction and we don't like the direction. So we, we see these... Other, you know what I think? I actually think, I actually think God allowed the Bible to be written that way on purpose. Because if a person wants a way out, they don't want to obey God, they have the way to disobey. But if you want to know the truth, you know, in the end, everybody finds what they were looking for. Seek and you will find. In the end, everybody finds what they're... If you're wanting to honor God and to serve Him, you're going to have plenty of data to do that with. You know, I used to... Um, when we lived in Tennessee, um, we had a house that, that, that sat on about an acre... And we had a dog, so we had to put a fence up. And so I had to fence in uh, three-fourths of that acre. And so I had, uh, I don't know what that post, what's that thing called, Drew? It's a digger. That, no, 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 this is the thing you hammer down the, the driver. Is that it, the driver? Okay, and so I was putting up a slew of those things. And I had probably put down about 30 of them. <clears throat> and when I looked back down the row, I had two out of line. Now I want to ask you, I'm from the city, but do you really think I got the other 28 and moved them over to the two? I got the two and brought them back. And if I'm studying something in scripture and I got 28 texts that are telling me no and two that seem to be saying yes, come on, let's be honest. We got to go with the weight of the evidence, friends. Irregardless of what anybody says, you got to go with the weight of the evidence. And I promise you that if you do that in time, God will bring those other two confusing texts into line. He'll do it. But you've got to go with the weight of the evidence, and we have to be good uh, detectives if we hope. Now the last one, 2 Peter 1-2. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any, what? Private interpretation. And what is it saying here? Hey, you're not interested in my opinion. Don't go looking for people's opinion. Scripture explains Scripture. Let the Bible explain itself. 
And, and again, let the Bible teach you. You know, as I said before, we can prove anything we want to prove in the Scripture. I can twist, like I said, I can teach cannibalism if I want to. If we do that, we're going to destroy ourselves. In the end, we're going to find in our studies that this book is going to judge us. We have to allow this book to teach us. We have to approach this book with humility and allow it to teach us. We have to come with an open mind and an open heart and let God be our teacher. And if we do that, God will lead us to truth. But if we come with our own preconceived ideas, if we come to prove what I want to prove, you will find a text for it. I'll guarantee you. The devil will supply the text. Buyer, beware. Make sure that our hearts are right. Number 13. What, uh, what will studying the Scriptures do for us? 2 Timothy 3.15 says, You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which, uh, which is in Christ Jesus. My friends, in studying the Word, we're going to understand the plan of salvation, and in doing so, we're going to understand how to cooperate with God. Number 14. According to Jesus, where do we find the truth? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the and the life. Now, I don't know about you, but we got to stop on this text. This is a mind blower. Please take note that truth is more than a concept. It is a person. Did you catch it? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, when we study the Bible, we're coming to know Jesus, who is the truth. So every teaching, every teaching in Scripture is a revelation of Christ. When we read in the Bible, thou shalt not kill, I, am, I discovered that, that life matters to God. It's valuable. When I read in the Bible that I shall not commit adultery, I am learning that relationships are valuable to God. When I learn that, that God says, you shall not uh, bear a false witness, I learn that God values honesty. Every teaching in Scripture is an invitation by God to get to know Him better and to walk closer with Him. However, if I choose to reject the truth, what have I rejected? Him. It's not about rejecting a concept. It's about rejecting a person. Are you with me? This is a serious deal. So if there's a truth out there that you know the Lord's been tapping you on the shoulder about and you're having a problem with, it's time to come clean. It's time to go to him and say, I'm having a problem with this, will you help me? Are you with me? I've had to pray that, friend. You're not the only one in this room who's had to pray that. Okay, 14, uh, did I read the next one? And look at this, John 17, 17, thy word is, is truth. So we need to study to know Jesus. Number 15, what warnings regarding Bible study, this is amazing, what warnings regarding Bible study are given in the scriptures? 2 Timothy 2, 15, what's the first word? Study, study to show yourself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's a lot of people out there that are wrongly dividing it. God says, no, you rightly divide it. How do you do that? By studying with humility, prayerfully, seeking to know me and my will. That's what God is saying, study. Now, did you know, were you aware that we actually have a warning about reading a certain Bible writer in Scripture? You know, the Bible actually warns you about the, a Bible writer. The Bible actually warns us about, about the writings of Paul. 
Did you know that? I'm going to show you the text. It actually warns us about the... the see, Paul, Paul was a heavy hitter. Paul is, of the Bible writers, the most educated and the, most, and the intellectual of the Bible writers. He is very deep, very deep. And, and, and it's very easy to read his stuff and get confused. And, and then what we do is use that confusion to undo the rest of Scripture to our own destruction. It's very interesting. But I have found, when I have found people who ha- are presenting something that's contrary to Scripture, they, they almost every time use the writings of Paul to support their claim. Very interesting. Take a look here in 2 Peter 3.16. Oh, no, let's not do that. Let's just go to the Bible. Open your Bibles. I want you to see it in your own Bible. 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, and it says this. Oh, Second Peter 3, and I am going to begin in verse 14. So here we see Peter is reaching a conclusion. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14, he's reaching a conclusion. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the longsuffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking of them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which those who are untaught and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of Scripture. You see, my friends, I I remember as a new Christian in, in my 20s, a very godly man took me aside and he showed me this text and this is the counsel he gave me. He said, look, study the Old Testament first, study all the other writers, then study Paul. And he says, and when you study Paul, if he appears to be going against something Jesus said, if he appears to be going against something Moses said, if he appears to be going against something James said or any other Bible writer, know that you're misunderstanding him. Know that you're misunderstanding him. Because rightly understood, Paul's writings line up with the rest of Scripture. Are you with me? You know, it's really interesting. Am I the only one? I want to be curious. How many of you have really struggled understanding Paul? Do you know, to Paul, I just couldn't get it. But when I dove into the sanctuary and began to study the sanctuary, later when I went to Paul, it made sense. Paul's writings are saturated with sanctuary terminology and imagery. How should we test all religious teachings and doctrines, including what I'm teaching you up here? How do we test it? 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, test how much? All things hold fast to what is, is... Okay, test it against what? Against the Scriptures. It's the only thing God has given to us for us to be able to determine what's true and what's not. Are you with me? Can you imagine one day coming before the judge of all the universe and God looking at you saying, you know, I'm sorry, it wouldn't be safe to let you in. You believed everything I said in the Bible. You think that's going to happen? Do you think the opposite is more likely to happen? We need to make a decision, don't we? Okay, uh, this other one's really interesting too. Get your Bibles again. Let's go to Acts 17. Let me set the background to this. Even though Paul was hard to understand at times because he was so far over our heads, Paul had a profound love for Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says that the one who 
the, big, the, the, one who sin, who, the one to whom much is forgiven does what? He loves much. Paul killed Christians. He persecuted his Lord and Savior. Paul, when he said, I am the worst of, of sinners, uh, the chief of sinners, he wasn't exaggerating. That's how he felt. Paul loved his Lord and Savior. And so when he, he, went, he went everywhere to preach the gospel, they beat him. He had shipwrecks. They stoned him. They, they, they left him for dead. He kept going. Because he wanted to see souls in the kingdom. He wanted to make up for what he had done. He loved God. Okay? And so when he set up a church, he came in, he taught him the truth, and his heart just burnt. I mean, here's the guy beat up, bruised, preaching Christ knowing that there's another episode waiting for him. Hey, would you listen to somebody who was that sold out? And so they listened and churches rose and he left, but then other guys came in. You know, they sounded pretty smart too, but they were presenting another gospel. And so they bought into this. That's why today you and I have the book of Thessalonians, First and Second Corinthians. That's why we have Galatians. Because Paul wrote them and he was like, what happened? Who bewitched you? How, how is it that you so quickly turned from the truth? Oh, yeah, but do you know, he had a nice wife. His kids were cute. His dog liked him. How can we not accept what he had to say? Are those the tests of knowing whether a person is preaching the truth? No, dear friends, to the law and to the testimony. And so what happened is that, uh, but I want to share with you a church that had a different experience. Paul and Silas uh, had an experience of this church, and I'm going to pick up in verse 10 of uh, Acts 17. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. And, and Now watch why they were more fair-minded. In that they received the word with all readiness. What's the next word? And, conjunction. And searched the scriptures how often? Daily to find out whether these things were so. Now, turn in your Bibles to the book of Berea, chapter 5, verse 3. Paul never had to write them a letter. When the phony balonies came with another gospel, they listened with all readiness, they tested the scriptures, they tagged them out and sent them on down the road. And that's what we must do. Same exact thing. These guys weren't deceived. Why? Isaiah 8, 20 says, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is, how much light? No light in them. Listen, you can't say they have a little light because the devil always makes his truth with error. The little bit of truth is what makes the error palatable. It has to be completely true. Don't embrace it unless it is. Everything must be tested by the Bible, my friends. Number 17, what happened when Jesus explained the scriptures to his two disciples, uh, discouraged disciples on the road to Emmaus? Luke 24, 32 said, did not our heart, what? Burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. Their hearts, what? They had an aha moment. The Holy Spirit gave witness to what Christ was saying and they got it. They were filled with joy. Number 18, after these two disciples knew that Jesus was alive and they heard him explain the prophecies, what did they do? Luke 24, 33 says, so they what? 
they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together. They shared it. They shared it. Listen, when you learn something new in Scripture, if you want it to stick in your head, remember what I'm going to tell you. You've got to share it. If you share it, it'll stick. If you don't share it, you're going to lose it. If what I'm saying is not, if, if what I'm saying is true, if you had that experience, raise your hand. There should be a whole lot more hands up than that. A whole lot more hands. My friends, we need to share it. The world out there doesn't have it. When I was working at First Union Mortgage, um, there was a guy there. His name was John. And I like John. John was from a different denomination. In fact, that's, that's, that stat I gave you, that poll, he was from one of those denominations way down on the lower end of that scale. And, and I like John. He was a real nice guy. I don't know if my wife remembers him. But we went to their house once, and uh, they gave us uh, a recipe for Vidalia onions. Does this sound familiar now? No? Anyway, I like the food. That's why I remember the meeting. But I also like John. I like John a lot. But, um, but John, John <clears throat> had a problem with me believing and having confidence in the Bible as God's fully authoritative, inerrant word of God. And John used to make fun of me. And... Um, he would actually, at the end of the day, I don't know how he always managed to end so much earlier than me, but at the end of the day, he would, I could hear him coming, and he would sit in a cubicle behind me, there was no man in that cubicle, and he would mock me. Now, I knew what was behind John. You know, the Bible tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in heavenly places. I literally felt squashed by the time he was gone. I felt so oppressed. And this happened day after day after day after day. And one day as I was sitting in my cubicle working, like he should have been doing, he comes walking down, and I hear him talking. He's coming towards me, and I put my pencil down, and I said, Lord, you know I like John, but I've had enough of him. I said, uh, that he's allowing the demons to use him. So I'm going to ask you, please, to give me something, something to give to John because I've had enough. So... I'm sitting here working. He sits in the cubicle behind me. He's facing me, and he starts up mocking me. And I spun around. I looked at him. I said, John, I want to ask you some questions. Do you believe in God? And he was really offended. Of course I do. So I had his attention. I said, John, do you believe in the devil? Yes, I do. John, do you believe in angels? Yes, I do. Do you believe that that, that demons can, describe, can, can disguise themselves as God's angels? Yes, I do. Do you believe that sometimes God communicates very important messages through his angels? Yes, I do. John, if an angel stood in front of you right now with an important message that was life and death for you, how would you know if it was God's angel or the devil's? And he froze. And I said, John, that's the difference between you and me. I would know because the Bible would expose him. You wouldn't because you have no confidence in it. You'd be lost. He never bugged me again. I pray that I got him thinking. My friend, without the word of God, we're finished. The only thing God has given to us to expose the devil's program and to set us free is that book. It's what the Holy Spirit works through to transform our lives. And he never works contrary to it. 
So here's the appeal. Here's the appeal for us today. Do you desire to fully understand and follow the scriptures? At this very moment, won't you ask Jesus to prompt and strengthen you to take daily time to study his word, to know him and his ways better? If you, if you want to say yes to that, will you raise your hand? Praise the Lord. Before I pray, I, I want to say this to you. You know, if reading the Bible is dull and dry, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very honest, it's, the reason for that is because we're very much saturated with the world. Um, the world will, ta- will change our spiritual taste buds. And so we're, we're, we're too saturated. We're saturated. And, and that is the reason why the Bible is not of interest to us. But remember that the word is known as the bread of life. If you've ever gotten a piece of bread and you pop it in your mouth and you haven't put anything on it and you begin chewing, it's dry, isn't it? But have you noticed what happens as you continue to chew? It becomes sweet. So don't get discouraged. Our lives depend on this. Stick through it, persevere. At first it's dry, it will become sweet. And I encourage you that if you decide to go to the Old Testament, start there, that's fine, do a chapter a day. That's my encouragement to you, a chapter prayerfully. And, and when you get to uh, the begats, skip it. You know, when so-and-so begets so-and-so, you're not, you know, unless you're specifically studying that for genealogy, just skip it. You, you don't get brownie points for that. And if you get to the, even, even the sanctuary, it means a lot. If you just get to the measurements and all that other stuff, just stick with the storyline and watch God's intervention with man. Follow the storyline. And along the way, you can have your forays into deeper studies. But I encourage you to do that. So understand, if you find something is competing with your desire to study the Bible, you're going to have to jettison that something because your soul depends on it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the love you have for us and for the things you've taught us here today. Lord, uh, we have an enemy that wants to snatch out of the hearts of the young people and old what we heard. Lord, help them to be aware that the devil's going to try to erase this from their mind, that they, they, they are responsible for clinging to this with both hands. They, their lives depend on it. And whether that means putting a little Bible in their car so they can read it in the morning, uh, what have you, but, but Lord, help them to get started. And even if it's just five minutes a day, that's fine. But help them to get started. Thank you again, Lord, so much for loving us and for bringing these these messages to us. We ask this all in Jesus' preciousness. Bless all here, Father. Anoint them with your spirit. Encourage them. Bring others uh, to come alongside to encourage them as they've made this decision. I thank you for it, for I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio, and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.